excited to bring God's word, word this morning. Let's pray and uh, we'll jump right in. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you did not leave us uh, without instruction. Father, your word is so clear in how we are to live. Father, you show great mercy and great grace. We are so thankful for our redemption through Jesus Christ. And Father, uh, thank you for your word that shows us our great salvation. But Father, you did not save us to keep living in the dark. But Father, you have saved us for holiness, to be in the light, to be light, to show your character and your glory to the world. Not through our own strength, Father, but through the Holy Spirit working within us. And so, Father, this morning, as we look into your word and we see some serious, serious instruction into how we're to live, Father, uh, soften our hearts. Father, give us your eyes to see where we're at, what needs to be sharpened up. And so, Father, be with me as, we, uh, as I bring your word this morning. Lord, there's so much on my heart. I would just pray that you would guide every single word that comes from my mouth this morning. Be with us all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in a passage in Ephesians 5 that uh, I, I just want to come right out from, from the, from the get-go. I love talking about the grace of God. I hope, as we've been going through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, uh, I love speaking of our redemption, seeing what Christ has done for us. Uh, it is awesome. It's joy-filled. It fuels our worship. But we need to know this too, that our redemption and what God has done for us also is the fuel for holy living. Where we start to get serious about sin and we start to put it to death through the power of God working within us. And so I just want to set that for... I got to admit, I'm... I'm um, I have a lot on my heart this morning. I manuscript, by the way. You may say there's no way you manuscript the way you... I do, actually. And uh, yes, I get off track. Um, but even this morning in the showers, I was praying through my message. I, I just... More thoughts kept coming to my mind. And so I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit this morning to guide my words. Uh, I'm going to stay to the stay to the text. I'm going to stay to what I've, I've studied and done. But I, I just pray for a, a morning that we are encouraged... But we are also maybe leave today a little more serious about sin and its effects on our lives. I was also thinking about something else this week. And uh, going through this passage, I, I'm so thankful for our salvation. And our salvation and the grace we've been shown really, truly is absolutely amazing. And that's what we sing, amazing grace. But do you realize that your salvation, whether you are a church kid who grew up in church from day one, or whether you're recently saved, maybe you've spent time in prison, I don't know your stories, but no matter what your path in life has been, no matter where you've been, if you were a child of God, if you have seen God's grace, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your salvation has 100% completely changed you. Scripture shows us a powerful testimony of changed lives. Saul, the persecutor of the church, became who? Paul, the church planter. Paul, the missionary. Paul, the author of Scripture. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was, as Peter said, a man moved by the Spirit, spoke from God. Saul was the self-righteous lawkeeper, as he describes himself in Philippians, and now he calls himself the chief of all sinners. Who needs the grace of God? A few weeks ago, we talked about Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the tax collector. He becomes the servant, who Jesus, servant of Christ who repays those who he stole from. We see the disciples. You ever marvel at the disciples? Scared fishermen, hiding, who became powerful apostles of the church, who, as we saw in Ephesians, are the foundation of the church, with Christ being the cornerstone. In modern times, we know of testimonies from people like Chuck Colson, who was saved while in prison for crimes committing as part of the Watergate crimes in the Nixon era. 
Colson became a strong defender of the gospel. If you get an opportunity to read some of his books, they're fantastic. Read his testimony called Born Again. He was a very, very changed man once he was saved. We have famous guys, at least maybe used to be. Kirk Cameron, child actor, successful TV series on ABC, very popular. Saved by Jesus Christ, and now he has a ministry with Way of the Master, teaching others how to evangelize. By the way, Way of the Master, if you have an opportunity, if you want to look up their website, uh, Ray Comfort is the other uh, person in that. They're fantastic. We use them in our youth ministry. And it's just a wonderful method that you can learn to share the gospel. You know what I love here at our church? I love Baptism Sunday. Because I hear your testimonies. One of the privileges of listening to you as you come into membership is we get to hear your testimonies. And we see that the grace of God changes lives. And it's a 100% change. All of us, every single one of us, who know Jesus Christ, we have a tremendous testimony to share. And it's a blessing, it is, and an encouragement when we tell others, when we get to see and hear of what God has done for all of us. Well, I want to look at our text, and I want to remind ourselves of something. We're going to start in verse 1 to remind ourselves that being an imitator of God happens when we walk in love. We talked about that last week. And this week, we will see that we are to walk in light and then finally, we'll see in the weeks to come, we imitate God as we walk in wisdom. But let's read our text. It's Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 1. But our main study today will be verses 3, and we're not going to make it to 14, but we'll read through 14. Therefore, again, pointing back to all of the grace that God has done for us, our salvation, because all of you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Today we look at a powerful transformation that has happened to those who are saved. In our verses today, we see this, that Paul described the themes of light and darkness by showing us how opposite the works of darkness are in comparison to the fruit of light. I want to take notice of a few things. Look at verse 8. Paul says this, For at one time you were darkness. Note that he does not say we were walking in darkness. He says this, we were once darkness. But now, through the Gospels, Paul says this, you are light in the Lord. You see this? Our identity has changed. Can we have anything more opposite than light and darkness? How many of you have ever been in pitch black? Talked about this with the youth even last Wednesday. When I was a little one, I think I was 11 or 12, we went to the Oregon Caves up in Cave Junction, uh, Oregon. 
and we go cruising on in. Say, yeah, 11 or 12. And they say, okay, we're going to do something. Imagine the, your torch goes out while you're here, and they turned the lights off in that cave. Now, at 11 or 12 is about the time as a young man where you're really not supposed to hold mom's hand anymore, and you're you know, supposed to kind of try to be a tough guy. Those lights went off, and that darkness just felt like 1,000 pounds of darkness on me. And I did the whole open my eyes, close my eyes, open and close, and I couldn't tell a difference. It was dark. And it was oppressive. And then when they turned the lights back on, I was like, ah, I can see. But even in just a match, just a little bit of light would have lit that whole cave to where there would have been comfort. You see, there's nothing more opposite. In fact, God is light, right? It says, and in him, there is no darkness at all. Darkness and light cannot live together. Light overcomes the darkness. Scripture teaches us this. We've been changed. We were darkness. We are now light. Because we are light, then Paul says something very, very important. You are light. Live or walk as children of light. Christians, followers of Christ, we are to walk as followers of Christ. And we don't do this on our own strength. It can't be any more clear than what we've read and what we've studied in, in Ephesians so far. We are empowered by God, blessed with everything that we need. We have every resource that we need in Christ. So we walk as children of light. Paul is continually telling the church, I don't know if you've caught on to this yet, he's saying to this, become who you are. Christian, child of God, become who you are. You are light. Look at 1 Peter verse two, chapter 2, verse 9. I love this verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, so that you may be proclaim the excellence of, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter calls it marvelous. We just sang, how wonderful, how marvelous. And we were singing it out. Why? Because the love of God, the cross, what Jesus has done, our transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light is marvelous. Do we believe that? When we believe that it's a marvelous thing, we start saying no to the darkness that tempts us and oppresses us. So in our text, when we are told to imitate God, we are told to do so by walking in love and by walking in the light. Now, how do we do this? How do we walk in light? We're going to look at our passage. We're going to break it down together this morning. We're going to get as far as we can, and we're going to see what Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church on how we're to live. And the first is this. First, we walk in the light when we worship God and not ourselves. We walk in the light when we worship God and not ourselves. You see, as God's holy ones, as those who are called saints, there are behaviors that are 100% part of a dark life. And Paul lists these sins in our text. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and filthy speech. And as you look at these sins, you cannot help but see that these sins grow from a heart that is seeking joy and pleasure outside of God. They are sins of greed. They're sins of selfishness. Remember uh, chapter 4, verse 19, where we were a few weeks ago? It says this, for those who are darkened, again, the word dark, those who are darkened in their understanding, verse 18, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart, look, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, these are sins of the flesh. These are sins of greed. They're sins of the self. 
These sins say my needs must be met in my own sinful and fleshly pursuits. These sins say my happiness and joy is found in the pleasure I can find by myself apart from God. Yet Paul says this, these sins should not even be named among us. They are not suitable for the Christian. These sins are out of place within the life of a believer. And it is unacceptable behavior within the church. Sexual immorality and impurity. You know, when I read this verse in verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I see that the early church had the same sin issues that we have today. You know, when Adam fell in the garden, sin entered the world. There is no enlightened age. There is no age where we have sin under control. We are all born in our sins, and we are by nature children of wrath until God comes in and gives mercy. But sin has been here since the fall. But there is an ugliness to sexual immorality and impurity. Sexual immorality, the word used here is pornei. Sound familiar? This is a broad term that covers any sexual sin. Examples used in scripture are fornication, homosexuality, and adultery. Jesus used the word in Matthew 5, uh, verses 27 through 30, for lustful thoughts. When it comes to sexual sin, Paul states very clear, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality in a believer's life. Remember, you were darkness, now you are light. Become what you are, you are light. Sexual immorality is so prevalent in our society today, as it was in Ephesus. Sexual sin was part of the pagan temple rituals that went on in, in Ephesus. Temple worship practiced sexual sin in the city of Ephesus. Sexual sin then, as really is today, but was literally idolatry to those who practice immorality within the idols of the city. Today we see that sexual sin has become acceptable. And really our world is really not calling it sin anymore. In fact, we rename sin to make it seem harmless. Our society does not call pornography what it truly is. They call it adult bookstores or an adult movie for mature audiences. Society calls certain clubs a gentleman's club. A gentleman's club is anything but a gentleman's establishment. In fact, it's a place for those who abuse young women. Sexual sin in many, many situations is people gaining profit through what I believe, my opinion, but I'm not alone. It's modern day slavery. It's modern day slavery of young girls and young boys. There's kidnapping that happens to fuel the profits of this industry. It's horrific. And we call it gentlemanly. It is sick depravity and sin run amok. Lest we become self-righteous, it is the grace of God that has saved us from this. So let's proclaim that Jesus is the light that overcomes this tremendous darkness that is plaguing our land. Please, let us not be a people who rename sin. We must be a people who call sin what it is. The world says this. If it feels good, it must be good. That is a lie. We must not think that we can manage sin and keep it under control. There is no such thing as little sin in any way, but there is really no such thing as little sin when it comes to immorality and impurity. It brings slavery and it brings death. In Colossians, Paul tells us to put these, things to, set, put these things to death. He's saying, kill this sin. 
John Owen said, kill sin or it will kill you. Pornography today is more accessible than it has ever been before. It is everywhere. And I want to challenge our fathers and our mothers, parents. Boys and girls are being enslaved to this horrific bondage at a very, very young age today. You may think that they're strictly into Star Wars, Marvel Comics, and sports. Please, stand guard over your children. They might not have a smartphone, but they have a friend who does. Can you teach them to flee sin, to flee youthful lusts? Fathers, teach your children about true intimacy. Fathers, ask the hard questions. If you're even a hint embarrassed, that's just from the devil. Fight this battle with your youngsters. All you need to do is come up to high school camp with me and you will see the bondage that this sin is wreaking. It is destroying our young people. This is serious. Fathers, teach your kids to be Joseph. Who ran and fleed from Potiphar's wife. There are pictures in scripture that show how we're to live. Teach them the tragedy of David who lingered. And stayed on the balcony too long. And it brought death and destruction to his house. Bring them to Proverbs and say, this is the way of death. Let me show you what true wisdom is. It's following the gospel. It's following Jesus Christ. All impurity. Paul adds impurity in this, in verse three. And he doesn't say some impurity. He says all impurity. Impurity is filth. All filth. Paul is saying we need to have clean lives. We need to live clean lives. All filth must not be part of the life of a believer. This is a call to holiness. We are called to be holy. This, when Paul is saying, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, this is reinforcing what is said in 1 Peter 1. Be holy because I am holy. We are saved for holiness. You know, when we speak of sexual immorality and impurity, I want to say this. I have good news. I have good news for those who are trapped or have fallen into this sin. Healing and restoration can happen, and it does happen. And the church should be active in restoring those who have fallen into sin. But can I tell you this? There is no healing without repentance. So this is a call to repentance. Repentance acknowledges our sin. And then we confess our sin. And then we experience the grace of God through Jesus' death on the cross. And then our life is changed. And the cross is changing our life. So let's be a people who humbly repent. And let's cry out for others to repent also. We are light. So let's walk as children of light. So sexual immorality and all impurity, it's part of the dark life. And it's no longer part of our new life in Christ. We are new. There is victory over sin. And I'm so thankful for that. Covetousness and greed, as we move on, is also part of the dark life. It's part of our former life. It is not part of those who walk in light. Greed and covetousness is the unquenchable desire for more. Greed, like sexual morality and impurity, is also a sin of the heart. Are you seeing this? This is talking about our heart. This is things that we desire. When we come to Christ, we desire new things. But when we struggle and we have greed and covetousness, it, what we're saying is we have a desire for something more than God. In Luke 12, Jesus said this, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be alert. Be on guard. 
Now, I'm going to let you in on what really isn't much of a secret, especially you're finding this out as I've been preaching more. Uh, in high school, I was a fun-loving, uh, but not so smart kid. Wasn't very mature, but I was fun-loving. And I had a game I played with a friend. I know, don't judge me. It's, it's in high school. In high school, I would try to sneak up, we'd try to sneak up on each other, and if you were holding books, you could punch them in the arm. We would try to punch someone in the arm in the arm that they were holding books. I know. You're like, what? Who are you? But we would have fun with this. And we would aim for that spot, like right there, that when you hit there, it like pretty much paralyzes your arm for a second or two. It's in between the two muscles. And if you hit it perfect, then you'd almost drop someone to their knees because it hurt really bad. And we would laugh if we did that. We'd just think it was the best thing, and the books would fall. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, that's, that was my life. And um, we would do this. But now let me tell you something. Once we each got hit once or twice, and it hurt bad, we were on guard. I knew his schedule. I knew where he hung out. I knew where he'd be walking. I knew where his locker was. He was my best friend. So I knew this anyways. But I was constantly on guard. Now, lunch was free. Why? Because we weren't holding books. It had to be the arm that you were holding the book. So we would learn to walk with our arm holding the books toward the wall. We were alert. You have to believe I did not want to get hit. And I was on guard. That's what Paul here is saying. We're lazy. We're like, oh, wasn't church great? And sometimes it doesn't take more than 15 minutes. And bam, the flesh takes over, sin takes over, our temptations take over because we're lazy. And I say we, I'm, this is Ron talking too. We get comfortable. Man, worship was awesome. Singing was great. And then boom, we get hit right across the face. It's not, hey, trust me, Satan does not want to hit you in the arm. He wants to destroy your life. It's not a game. Now in the game, we're guarding. Those of you who played sports, when you play man on man in basketball, you guard your guy. You don't want to let the team down. But guard your heart. Guard your lives. Be on guard. Jesus said, and what sin does he warn us to be on guard against? Covetousness and greed. I kind of find that interesting. Can I share a couple things? I think Jesus said, take care and be on guard. You know why? I don't think anyone thinks they're greedy. Greed is sneaky. Now, I get to speak for me, much of my ministry through the years, I, I don't even want to say how many years, I think it's over 25, through the years, it's been with youth. And they're always telling me they're broke. So, you know, I don't know if covetousness, I mean, they, they definitely struggle, probably they struggle with it more because they're broke. But it's just, it's just different. I don't, you know, I don't have kids coming up to me and said, oh, Pastor Ron, pray for me, I'm struggling with greed. But I bet if I were to quiz pastors and biblical counselors on what types of sin they are counseling people through, greed isn't high on the list. It may not even be on the list. People don't walk up into church offices, ask to meet the pastor, and confess that they love money too much. Jeff, has it happened? I know that I've personally, I've never met personally with anyone who said, hey, Ron, can you help me out with my greed problem? I've counseled people through many different things. Now, as I get to know people, I've, I've shared struggles with materialism with Karen. I've, I've, uh, I've shared it with other friends. But, but by and large, greed's sneaky. We don't view it as, 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 a, as a big problem. And I think it's a tremendous blind spot, within our, blind spot within our churches and within our society. Society says this, greed is good. They'll say greed works. It's from a movie from uh, the 90s or 80s. And probably not a recommended movie. But when we're materialistic, 
Greed becomes our food and our water. Jesus said this, store up treasure in heaven. In Luke 12, he said that. Then Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter six, look at uh, verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now we just, we know that sexual immorality and purity plunges people into ruin and destruction. We know this. You can see the damage that this causes. But interesting here, Paul is saying the same thing about greed and the love of money. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. Look at that word craving. Ever you ever crave anything? In a few minutes here, I know I'm going to get hungry and I will start craving something. Be it Togo's, pizza, panda, I don't know what it is. But I will crave something here in a few minutes. And you start to think about nothing else but what you're craving. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. This is serious. Jesus said, stand guard over this. Paul is saying that this is a huge temptation that shipwrecks people. That some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with a lot of pain, with many pangs. Look at verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I sometimes wonder when myself, when I'll learn this, that money will not satisfy, that stuff breaks, moth and rust destroys. You ever buy yourself a new car? Remember the excitement that day? When that excitement go away? Three year three? How about when you're still making payments with a hundred something thousand miles on the car still? You're like, I love my new car. That's not new anymore. Boy, it brought a lot of temporary joy for a day or two, didn't it? Stuff. I'll confess to you, I like stuff. I think I've even shared with you, I have a hobby, even though it won't happen. When I can't sleep at night, I get on BMW.com. <laughs> and I build the nicest luxury sports car I can find on there. You think, I, I'm really serious, I do. If I can't sleep the next night, I move to Audi. <laughs> Not really into the Lexus that much. I've done Porsche, Corvettes. I like things. How quickly they become idols. 
Now, God may bless us, and I'm, by the way, I'm not judging you by the car you drive, all right? I trust the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. In fact, if you get a nice car, I'm probably just going to give you a hug and be excited and ask for a ride. <laughs> and I'm going to just, just be thankful for the blessings you've been given. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in us to not be covetous people. Here's the thing. I know we're a generous folk. We are a generous bunch. God has provided for this church miraculously. There are times that we are in tears over God's provision for this church. But Jesus said, and we can't ignore the scriptures, that we are to be on guard. And I will tell you, I let my guard down in this area so often. I like to know what the stock market is doing. They, they say, invest your money. Oh, I'm getting off script. Invest your money, don't look at it. That doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm intense. Uh, if I had money in the markets, I'd be like tracking it every minute by minute. Why? It can become an idol for me quickly. I don't think I'm alone. I know I'm not. Jesus said, be on guard. Be alert. Watch out for this attack. And in Timothy, Paul saying, this brings destruction and ruin. We think money brings greatness. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Let us be a people who are on guard. Let us be a people who work hard. We all know we need to make money. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. But let's be a people who give thanks for what God provides to us. And then let's use our money for the right purposes. We just saw that. Why did we work a few weeks ago? We work to share with those in need. Let us be a generous people because God is generous to us. Finally, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking have no place in those who walk in the light, who walk in light. Our language should not be shameful or disgraceful. Colossians 3.8 says this, also, Paul says obscene talk is to be put away. So we know what Paul is saying here. Filthy talk, full of innuendo or filth, it's out of place. It does not belong with us. It does not belong to those who are light. You ever had a situation, and I want to talk about being out of place. Have you ever had a situation where you felt out of place? Where you used to go, man, I am a fish out of water right now. I couldn't be more uncomfortable I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I was talking with a friend uh, a few years back, and his wife went on a trip to a very, very posh golf resort in Arizona. Now, this guy is by no means lacking class. He is not unrefined. He's middle, upper middle class, great guy, but he's at this resort in Arizona. Arizona's hot. He walked down to the pool in a tank top. And like he said, he goes, we're not talking like, you know, Corona on there. Oh, goodness. Are, am I supposed to mention beer at church? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it didn't say anything. It's just a plain tank top. He walked down there to the pool. And they said, can you please go back to your room until you're properly dressed? He's like, really? He said, I never felt more out of place. I was singled out for what I was wearing. It wasn't part of the dress code, and I had to go back up to my room. I think they really would have preferred a collar, but a t-shirt would have been okay. He goes, whoa, they're serious about being a posh resort. He goes, I felt out of place the whole time. It was too fancy for me. Filthy talk and foolish talk, crude jokes, if they leave our lips, it should come out and immediately it should just feel so out of place. You know that. You've had that happen. You ever have something leave your lips and you wish the rewind button was like real in life? I want those words back. That's out of place. People like me who try to be funny, words leave my lips all the time that I think I'm clever and I think I'm cute and they're out of place. 
We struggle with these things. So instead, actually I want to say this too. This is a way that we really show ourselves to be different than the world. As a young kid playing soccer, I had a friend on the team. He would say, would you just swear? He'd come up to me and fun start pushing. You don't swear. Come on, just swear. Just swear. Just swear. Ron, why don't you swear? It bothered him that I didn't swear. And I'd say, no, I'm not going to swear. Why won't you swear? It bugged him so much. Our speech sets us apart. Not just swearing, not just crude jokes and such. Yes, that sets us apart. But what about this? It says giving of thanks. Try something this week. Now, I don't know if your workplaces are like the places I've worked. But sometimes it's easy for the conversation to really go downhill. Lots of grumbling and complaining. What will happen when grumbling and complaining starts and you give thanks? You see, we're light. The darkness complains and grumbles. Light gives thanks. You'll blow people away. They're complaining about their job. They're complaining about the review they just had. And you say, I am thankful to God for my job. Their jaw will hit the floor. But then you can share the gospel. You see, we are light. We live different. And instead of foolishness, we give thanks. That's what our text says. Think of the sins that will be extinguished if we were a people of continual thanksgiving. You see, we're to desire holiness. Why? Because we've been saved by grace. Because we're to be imitators of God. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So let's be different. Let's be serious about killing sin. And let's be serious about holiness. The sins that would be, can be uh, extinguished if we were full of thanksgiving. It's impossible to give thanks and to worship, or it's impossible to give thanks and to worship God and sin at the same time. It cannot be done. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have a heart of thankfulness. How do you have a heart of thankfulness? Remind yourself of the cross. I say it before, preach the gospel to yourself every day. How about this? Preach the gospel to yourself moment by moment and give thanks. Let the cross, let Christ be the center of our lives. Let Christ's sacrifice remind you of the Father's love for you and give thanks. When you think of how much God loves you, you cannot help but be thankful. Don't extinguish it. Don't push it away. Let people think you're a kook. Because you are different than the world. They're going to think what they think. But at some point, they're going to say, man, you are different. Yes, I was darkness. Now, in Christ, I'm light. And I'm thankful. The sins listed here by Paul, they're all self-centered. We all sin in these ways when we seek to fulfill our sinful desires. Instead, let's be people who remember the generosity of God the Father. Let's remember that we've been given everything we need and we've received everything we need in Christ. Do not replace every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do not replace those blessings with the darkness and death of sin. Let's say that again. Do not replace every spiritual blessing in Christ with the darkness and death of sin. Sin does not, nor will it ever, bring joy or satisfaction. I want to close with the warning back in Ephesians. The warning Paul gives in verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And look at this warning. Let no one deceive you. And can I share, add on this? I think Paul's including 
Don't deceive yourself. I think in no one, you're included there. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is a strong warning. And Paul is clear. Those who persist, key word, those who persist in living this dark lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is an often repeated warning from Paul. Now, do Christians fall into sin? Do Christians fall into these sins? Yes, of course they do. But true Christians will not persist and stay in those sins. They will not keep them as a lifestyle. They will never be acceptable behavior to the believer. It's out of place. It's not part of light. Paul says it really well in 1 Corinthians 6. Verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolater, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Once darkness, now light. And we were washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So there is victory over sin. But do not be deceived. God's wrath is coming to the disobedient. That is not a popular message. Sadly, it's not a popular message in churches sometimes today. Talk about love, talk about grace, talk about the good stuff, but sin just kind of, it's not a real popular message. Friends, this is important. There is nothing more important than your eternity. And don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. You are not saved to stay in your sin. You were saved for holiness. You are light. Walk as children of light. That's what Paul is saying. By God's grace through Jesus Christ. Isn't it awesome that we have a relationship with God that is more satisfying than sexual sin and greed? We've been given blessings in Christ worthy of endless praise and thanksgiving, and that is better than filthiness and crummy jokes. Let us be a people who walk in light. Let us worship God alone. Let's never worship and serve cheap, dark substitutes that will never satisfy and ultimately bring death and destruction. Let's walk as children of light. And we'll look at that a little bit more next week. So I'm excited to be in God's word with, words with you. God's word with you. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know where everyone in this room stands with you. And Father, I would just pray that we would be a people who are serious about holiness. Father, I pray that we would be a church that cares deeply about being pleasing to you. Lord, you've done so much for us. You chose us before the, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before you. You've adopted us and made us your children. You've blessed us. You've made us alive in Christ. You've seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Father, you have given us so much. And so, Father, that is the fuel that propels our desire for holiness. 
It's also the fuel that you promise will make us holy. Lord, I thank you for your word that it says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Father, may we be a people who quickly confess our sins, repent, turn from it, and walk in light. Father, may we be a people as you have warned us, as your word warns us, may we be on guard against those sneaky, subtle sins that are hard to see, but yet they can take root and bring destruction and ruin into our lives. Father, may our satisfaction, may our desires be only for you and your glory. Father, may you make us people who see Jesus as the best. And there is no substitute for all we have in you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their generosity. Thank you for that, that we're a bunch of changed people. We are no longer who we once were. We were once darkness, now we are light because you loved us and saved us in Christ. May we worship you this week. May we have hearts full of thanksgiving and praise because you are so, so good. And you're changing us and you're making us and conforming us into the image of your son. May we be a church that looks like Jesus, not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing it is to gather together, worship you, and hear from your word. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen.